In Matthew 4.19, Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Join us in this conversation as we discuss following Jesus, leadership, and doing life with others. Welcome to the 419 Disciple Makers Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 419 Disciple Makers Podcast. Today, we are with a true disciple maker and lover of Jesus, and her name is Beth Laurie. Welcome, Beth. Welcome to you, Mark. Thank you for having me here. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, Beth, this is your third time you've been with us. The first time you flipped the tables and interviewed me because mm-hmm. uh, you had this idea that if I was going to host it, people needed to know who I was. Uh, and then we found out it was the least listened to of all. So the thank most you very much. listened to yeah, of all. Least, least. <laughs> uh, the second time you were with us, though, you talked about your story, which is what we love. We love for people to share your journey and how you came to know Jesus and who discipled you and how you're discipling others. It's kind of the the framework of this podcast, obviously. Uh, And then you talked about role-playing in in the groups and how important that was. Um, For those of you that didn't listen to that second episode, just give us a couple of minutes or so before we jump into today uh, about the importance of role-playing in groups. For me, over time, people feel very comfortable with their group. It's a safe place for them. And the idea of going and talking to somebody else about their faith or Jesus or uh, the gospel is just intimidating. So if you role play in your group, you give them a safe space to practice Mm. and they sort of can get feedback on maybe what worked or what didn't. And they build up a bit of confidence, not confidence in themselves, confidence in Christ. But it's a safe way for us to move into being more externally focused, Mm. uh, not just on This is about me, but hey, how can I take what God's given me and share it with somebody else? So role-playing is a a fun way, too, because there's lots of laughter involved, uh, (laughs) because you usually do silly stuff, and you can laugh with your friends about that. Well, and I think it's a skill, too, don't you? That it's, uh, if we don't impart skill into the people, in people's lives, then it's hard to become a disciple maker, right? Absolutely. I think that's the difference between a covenant group and most other groups, is that you learn skills to to take out and build God's kingdom versus just knowledge. Yeah, I, I like that too. I I was um, teaching this morning at a at a men's Bible study that I do every mor- every Thursday morning, and this quote I shared with them I learned from Patrick Morley, uh, and I want to just remind you out there if you're listening that you know a, being in a, a small group. He said this. He said that a Bible, a small group, and serving someone else will solve ninety percent of a person's problems. That's amazing. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? And he said this quote, he said, Jesus launched his divine plan to redeem mankind by putting a small group together. Isn't that amazing? Yes, it is. By putting us, and so I, I, what I love about you is that you're not only talking theoretically, you have led several small groups. So we are sitting with an expert this morning and we're so excited about that. And um, you've been sharing with me this concept of the cycle of grace. Mm Mm-hmm. And I want to uh, I want our listeners to hear this today. So I don't know if you're on the treadmill or in traffic, but uh, l- l- go back and listen to this when you can take some notes because I think this is going to be um, it's going to be very helpful for us today. So um, in a group, um, I know this that when you get into a discipleship group, there is the the danger of it becoming legalistic. Mm. Have you seen that in any of your experiences? Yes, I think that. Uh People hear the the to dos and it becomes a to do list and it becomes about um, the pressure of making disciples and I need to produce something and uh, I need to be something for Jesus because he did all this for me, which only leads to more pressure. And then we're off trying to bear fruit 
<laughs> from a, a, a pressure cooker, and Ooh. I don't think that's a, a way it's done. So mm. I think there is a, a risk of being legalistic, and we have to come back to who really makes disciples, which is Jesus, and he just invites us to be part of that, which takes a lot of the pressure mm. off. And that's the grace, I think. That's like. the grace. Yeah, I've always had this this thought, um, and I'm sure I've heard it or read it somewhere, Um that when you when you come into your discipleship group, it should feel like you're coming home mm. to a family that loves you, not that you're going to a job where you've got to perform or you could be fired. Right, <laughs> right. And so uh, when I learned that principle, I just started baking chocolate chip cookies for my guys every Monday night. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah, it started by accident. But now if I didn't have them, I think they would leave immediately. <laughs> Um, but my my point of that is is I want it to feel like when you come to the group, you're coming home, right. um, not you're clocking in, right, or checking in. And I think you know I don't I can't say I did that with the earlier groups I had. It probably felt more like a job. Mm. So I want to apologize to all those guys out there. Mm. Same. But 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 this <laughs> concept of home. When I think of home, I think of grace, mm-hmm. and um, and God's grace on my life too. So so teach us today about grace, the cycle of grace. Great. Thank you for uh, letting me share this. And this is uh, definitely not mine. Uh, I understand it's been around for quite some time. Uh, and I'm going to back up a little bit and just start with talking about a connection between the Great uh, Commandment and the Great Commission. We talk a lot about the Great Commission here yeah. on our Disciple Makers podcast. But the Great Commandment, which you know, is to love God mm-hmm. with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and then to love your neighbor's as you love yourself. But it's I think it's easier to love God than love people, don't you? Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> it's not as hard with God. He's yeah. he's always good. He's always loving. It's definitely uh. easier there. But uh, even Galatians 5:14 it says the entire law is fulfilled by keeping this one command. Mm. Love your neighbors as yourself. Mm. But the the last part is the issue as you love yourself. If you don't love yourself, how can you love others? It could be a pretty low standard for other people, right? Right. Yeah. You could be really angry at yourself. Do you know anybody who doesn't love them themselves? Have mm. You met somebody like that oh, before? Yeah. 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 I meet them on the golf course. You know, they, they they say things like, and it's just a stupid game, but they'll say things like, "You're such an idiot. You're yes. so stupid." You know, and you think, well, that's just around golf, but I bet that translates into other places of their life too. Right. They're beating themselves up, talking uh-huh. mean to themselves all day long. They say that we have like 4,000 thoughts an hour or something. And wow. so I don't know what the number is, but if you're if you're beating yourself up all day, oof, you're not going to have anything to love God love people, or, right? yeah, love other people. And so I think that's... And that's the human nature is that we're broken and we need love. We want to feel valued. We want to feel... Um, that we matter in some way. And so we're walking around to every other human we meet going, do I, do you love me? Can you, can I feel value to you? (laughs) (laughs) Can I be, can I make myself value to you in some way? Mm. So we want to suck love out of them and they want to suck love out of us Mm. because we're all empty and broken. You're saying we all suck. (laughs) (laughs) I'm saying we're all in need of deep love. And that's why when you go to first John 4, 19, he says, we love because he first loved us. Mm. And so the beginning of the whole cycle of the great commandment is that God loved us first, hmm. which we know that because the sacrifice that he gave for us and and we hear that, but we often jump to, okay, God sacrificed for me, so now I need to do something for him. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. lay down my life for him. I need to do whatever it is to, to pay him back because that's the way the world works. And how could we ever pay him back? 
right. It's a gift beyond gifts. There's no way we could. Mm-hmm. But the cycle of grace comes from this need to love ourselves and love God, and then it helps us move into living out the Great Commission. But my understanding, it's been around for a long time. I think in the 1960s, there were a group of missionaries that went out and uh, were definitely committed to God's purpose of building His kingdom, but they they burnt out within months, and they came back, and they kept finding this was happening. The cycle was happening over and over again. So a group of psychologists and a group, group of pastors got together to say, hey, what's what's not working in this? And they realized that there were some things that weren't happening, um, which was part of the reason for the burnout. And so they created this sort of looking at scripture. The pastors went to the psychologists and they said, we see this in scripture. This is what Jesus did. Right. And we really think that this will also help with the humanness of us trying to do the same work that Jesus did. Mm. And so the cycles of grace, there are there are four stages. Um, the first is acceptance. The second is sustenance. The third is awareness of significance. And the fourth, they use the word achievement. I like the word fruitfulness, but um, it's, it's then moving on into uh, building God's kingdom. And so I'd like to just chat with you about this a little bit because I think there's something in there for our disciple makers if they can yeah, hear. I've never seen this before. The the cycles of grace. I learned it in school, and it's been very life giving for me. Um, so, just for our listeners' sake, um, it's a circle. It's a cycle, and it um, it looks like at about eleven o'clock here. It says number one acceptance with some scriptures. If you're taking notes, uh, at about say two o'clock, it says uh, number two is sustenance with scriptures, and we'll give you those scriptures in a minute. Uh, at about five o'clock, it says number three, awareness of significance. And then um, at about seven o'clock, it looks like uh, it says number four, achievement, or as you said, fruitfulness. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So walk us through this. Sure. So the first need is is to be accepted, to belong. There's a human need in us to belong. And I can't, I, this, there's lots of scriptures on here. You know, we'll put this up on the 419 website in the next week or so, because I think oh, this would great. be great. Good, for good, our good, listeners good. to be able to see the visual of this as good. well. But uh, we'll go over a couple of the scriptures, but one of them is Ephesians 1, 4 through 6, and it says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in according with his pleasure and will. And I think of the example of this would be Jesus and his ministry before he did anything, before he had done one miracle or any activity, he went to John the Baptist and he was baptized. And uh, we know the dove came down and they heard God's voice and it said, um, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Hmm. And he hadn't done anything. He hadn't yet, done really. anything. Mm-hmm. So God was pleased <laughs> with him for just who he was. Well, but yet we feel like we need to perform sometimes for God, or we need to have done something for Him, and that just puts a lot of pressure on us. And so we need to know that we are God's pleasure. We are. Are women God's... that way too? Because I thought it was just men. That... No. Women that oh, they way are. Too. Okay. Yeah. We are, we definitely want to please. There's lots of women pleasers out there, and they're so busy trying to do what everybody else says to be accepted. And because mm, I know with men, um, we've been asking ourselves the question since we were in first grade of, do I have what it takes? Mm. You know, do I have what it takes to 
make the team? Do I have what it takes to get the girl? Do I have what it takes to get the job to make, you know? And I find that men all throughout life are still asking them themselves that question, which then values what they think they're worth. Right. And if they don't have what it takes, they feel worth less. Not, I mean, not worthless, but worth less. And if they have achieved or arrived in some aspects of life, they feel worth more. Mm-hmm. But like you said, it's it's based on what they've done, not who they are. Right. It's just who they are. And you say women deal with that too. Women deal with that too. Definitely. We just feel like we don't measure up or that we need to be something. Or Mm. there's this, if I could just do more or please other people well, then I would Mm. in some way be more valued, uh, some way be more appreciated, somewhere belong. Uh, and so there's just that human need. And I would love to read this to you. This is um, this is like a letter to yourself, but this is all based on scripture. And these are the things, if you go into scripture, that God says about us. So you can say your name, say that God's talking to you as I read this. You are my precious daughter or son in whom I delight. There's nothing you need to do to receive my love and share my joy. Like the lilies, they neither toil nor spin. They just are lovely. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Like a mother who nurses her child, I could never forget you. I know every hair on your head. I have numbered them. You are valuable to me because you are my creation, woven in your mother's womb. I breathe life into you out of abundance of my love. I wanted you to be mine. I formed your days when you were not formed. You are my workmanship created in Jesus Christ for good works, which I prepared long ago for you to do. You were made in my image. You are the little image bearer of Christ. I have given you all this because of my deep love for you. My banner over you is love, and I sing loudly and rejoice over you daily. Nothing can separate you from my love. I understand that all this lavishing is unknown to human love, but have the confidence to draw near the throne of grace, that you may receive all the mercy and find all your help. As you learn to trust and love me with your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength, you will see that all things work together for the good of those who are called according to my purpose. I will not leave you or forsake you. My grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in your weakness, so there is nothing you need to do except seek me and notice my hidden treasures. I am not like man. I see your heart. I know you, your longings and desires. I call you friend, and I will accompany you in this journey of life. Mm, that's amazing. Those are all scriptures that that he says about us. And if we can let that really soak into our mm-hmm. our being before we do anything, mm-hmm. we are fully accepted. Mm. We are fully appreciated. We belong. And that's that first cycle of grace is we have to know that, know that in our thread or otherwise we jump to the next phase without really seeing and believing what God says about us and our knowledge of self is huge. I remember um, uh, a guy named Mike Shreve who wrote a book called Our Glorious Inheritance. Mm. And it was two volumes. And it was around, I think it was 800 names for the children of God, believers in scripture that he had unsurfaced that, and they were all positive. <laughs> right. We never see in scripture where Jesus got, calls his children some negative derogatory name. Right. Not once. Once. That's amazing, isn't it? And I think it breaks his heart. 
Like if if we saw our kid calling themselves bad names, mm-hmm. I'm so stupid, like you were saying, the, the guy on the golf course or whatever, mm-hmm. that would break our heart as a parent. And I think yeah. it does his too. I think that he's like, no, yeah. that's not who you are. That's not yeah. what I've said about you. Exactly. So you're saying that's really the first place that of, of grace is really acceptance. Yeah. Before you do anything, you're accepted. You mm. just are. Even if you never do anything, mm-hmm. you are fully loved and accepted just as you are. So it's not about any type of performance. It's truly about what God has said about us. And, and that I, I would agree with you because I know that identity drives behavior. Mm. And when we know who we are in Christ, we are more likely to live for Christ <laughs> right? than when we don't know who we are. Our, if, we, if we're not sure that our behavior could be anything good or bad. Right. And so I, I think what we focus on, though, a lot in the church is behavior. You did what? You didn't do this? You did that? And we focus on, and not so much on identity, because it's easier to spot behavior. Right. <laughs> than it is identity, don't you think? Right. Where there's so much pressure to do to, uh, even when we... Maybe when we do wrong, like the, the pressure to confession, the pressure to repent, that, that's important, not downplaying it at all, but right. never forgetting, to your point, who we are. I feel like if we can get our identity in Christ, like everything else starts to line up. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that's one of the big things that are taught in covenant groups is we need to know who we are in Christ. And right. if we can get that, then we will live the life that he wants us to live. So. Amen. The next uh, phase in this cycle of grace is um, we uh, have the need for sustenance. Um, that's not a word we use often, but life-giving is would be another way of saying this. And this was a lot of where um, some of the missionaries burnt out. And John six thirty five says, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never go thirsty. In John 14, 18 through 20, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you before long. The world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also live. Hmm. One, on that day, you will realize that I am in the Father. You are in me and I am in you. And so Jesus really is our sustenance, but he goes, the the great thing about this sustenance is it's not just our spiritual disciplines. That's definitely part of it, our spiritual practices. Um, It is being with God that gives, that is life-giving, but he also knows us well enough. It's being with others as well can be very life-giving for us. Mm. It's the isolation that is really, really hard for us, not allowing God in or others in. And it reminded me of um, Jesus went to the wedding. You know, he he wanted to be with other people. He wanted to fellowship. That can be life-giving, just social activities and fellowship, laying on hands, um, having friends that spur you on. Now, it needs to be spurring you on in your faith, so right. it's not just having fun. It's not about that, but we need to have places that give us life. Life-giving. Life-giving times. Hmm. This is the sustenance that we live on. We we survive because of this. His, he's the bread of life. So if we learn to look for the things that give us life, mm-hmm. And it can be everything from, you know, our quiet time, 
um, which can renew us on a daily basis to, you know what, I really love being around this one friend. So I'm going to make it, uh, you know, if she feels the same way, I'm going to make it a time with her once a week or every few weeks because that's life-giving for me. We always encourage each other so much. So that's the sustenance that we live, that we need to live. And that was part of the reasons why those missionaries burnt out. They were going out alone. They mm. didn't have another person with them in, in some places. They felt isolated. Felt very isolated. Felt mm-hmm. very, they loved the Lord, but they... You know, Jesus did show up at a lot of parties, didn't he? He did. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when he turned water to wine, that, that scripture really bothers my Baptist mother. Mm. She just really can't understand, why didn't he turn it into something else beside wine, right? <laughs> um, of course, in the day, that was, that was those were your options, water right. or wine. But he, um, but he did show up at a lot of parties, a lot of events, a lot of festivals, a lot of places where there were lots of people. Yeah. He liked people, mm-hmm. right? He, well, I think he loved them. He loved them. <laughs> he wanted to be around them, though. I think they, that yeah. was it. That was part of his life-giving thing was to be around these people because he loved them and he wanted to enjoy his life with them. Well, and two, I think he was, he always, every, he was everything as a teaching moment. Mm. So I think he was even modeling for the disciples, hey, get out there. Yes. Get in the public sector. Right. Get out where the people are. Shine your light before men, Matthew 5, 16. Right? That's right. Don't take this stuff into the basement of the church and talk about it and then walk out and go to work and not, you know, never surface again. Right. Be out amongst the people. Go to the parties. Right. Party right. on. That's my mission <laughs> statement now. Uh, <laughs> Here, Sesame's party, party on. on. <laughs> For more information, check out our website, 419disciplemakers.org. Join us again next week as we continue our conversation on the 419 Disciple Makers podcast.